Welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, one, welcome. But two, what you need to know about this podcast is that it's meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but in bite-sized segments of time. And today we're going to continue talking about the foot, more specifically stress fractures that you will see in the foot itself. And so before I dive on, um, I've talked briefly about stress fractures before, but a stress fracture is basically indicative of a mismatch between the demands of the environment and what the bone is able to keep up with. Because with our body, it's pretty incredible in that when we apply a stress to the bones, typically what happens is the bones realize, oh, I should probably reinforce this area. And then it's able to essentially buffer that bone and build up around it, according to Wolf's Law. If you look up Wolf's Law, it might have a little bit more of an eloquent explanation for it, but it's just the body's way of making sure that the bone can stand up to the demands of the environment. But when we see a stress fracture, it's typically the demands of the environment are so high that our body just can't keep up with it. And at some point, it's just going to kind of break down over time. Another option could be, hey, maybe the demands of the environment are kind of normal, but the bone itself might have some sort of process that is delaying its ability to heal. So maybe they're osteoporotic or maybe they have poor nutrition or something along those lines where there's some sort of metabolic disease associated with bone healing. So if I was to just summarize it, a stress fracture results from an imbalance between bone resorption and bone formation. So there's a lot of different places that stress fractures can occur, and we're just going to be talking more about the foot itself just because I want to keep this short, and this definitely is not going to be all-inclusive information. But we will see this a lot of times um, with distance runners, military recruits, jumping sports, like it could be in basketball, or you'll even see it in gymnasts or ballerinas, um, sports that might be higher impact or require a lot of forces on the foot and ankle that result in these. And so if you're in the clinic and maybe one of these patients is coming in and they have some sort of like forefoot pain or heel pain or something like that, it is important to have this on your differential if you feel like it's appropriate because it is something that doesn't always really show up on x-ray, which we'll talk more about in a sec, and is really important so that we can modify the factors that are causing this to happen in the first place so they heal faster because obviously we want our patients to get better, right? And so that patient might describe their history as like, the pain just kind of happened whenever I put weight over my foot and it just progressively got worse over like a period of days to weeks. And the patient may have like had a rapid increase in the mileage or the intensity duration of the activity of, of whatever they were doing. They might've had a change in the surface that they were playing on or, or working on. Um, or maybe like a, a big change in shoes, whatever, maybe they're like wearing heavy boots or something like that, and also potentially inadequate periods of rest. So these are important questions to ask about to see, hey, why is this patient presenting with pain now and not before, especially if there wasn't an obvious trauma or something that occurred where your radar would be going off? 
And it's also relevant to ask this patient about what their diet is like, what their nutrition is like. If are they taking any medications that affect bone resorption or um, you know their daily activities, their footwear, their female asking about their menstrual cycles because we want to be mindful of other factors that we can help, and then also things that make them more predisposed to do this. So with these patients, as I mentioned, an x-ray isn't always the most helpful because it may not show up, at least until maybe a couple weeks when you see a callus formation. And they can have a bone scan too, um, which isn't as common to get. Keep in mind, a an athlete that has a lot of high impact may have multiple areas of bone resorption, but that may not be indicative of a stress fracture. Um, so you'll see MRIs used more frequently um, to be able to catch these because you'll be looking for periosteal and endosteal edema, like a hypo-intense fracture line and or maybe even a hypo-intense callus formation. So let's say we've got this, this patient in here. They may or may not have imaging. You want to see if they have pain with weight-bearing or range of motion, which, again, maybe not as specific to this. Are they tender in the spots that typically have a higher rate of a stress fracture? Is there any edema or warmth or ecchymosis or like even a palpable callus if it's been going on for long enough? What's their foot posture like? Are they like, do they have more of a cavus foot or more of a planus foot? And do you notice anything about their, their joint mobility above or below, or are they very ligamentously lax that you would suspect having an impact of improper forces across a joint that may make it more predisposed to take on more stress than maybe you want it to. So that's more so big picture about stress fractures in the foot, but then we want to talk about, okay, where would this be? And there's several areas that are more predisposed, but some of the more common ones in the foot would be like the navicular, the metatarsals, um, the calcaneus, the base of the fifth metatarsal. And, and you can even see this in like sesamoids or cuneiforms, cuboid. It just depends on a lot of things, but we're going to start off with the navicular bone. And the thing about some of these places is that some of these stress fractures are considered high risk. So for the navicular, for example, the central third of the navicular is basically a watershed area between the blood supply from the medial and lateral vessels, which means it's going to have a slower rate of healing of physiologic microfractures in the central area. Therefore, if you're suspecting this, there's a high rate of non-union in this bone, which we don't really want. Um, so you'll see this in patients that do maybe like a lot of explosive sprinting or jumping. They might have pain in the dorsum of the midfoot or along the medial longitudinal arch, um, or even just point tenderness at the dorsal aspect of the navicular, which would make sense if we suspect the navicular is involved, right? So their treatment, if it's non-op, is probably going to be, okay, well, let's stop the excessive force so the body can just chill out and and recover, and they might be put in non-weight-bearing in a short like cast for like six to eight weeks. But if we're thinking, hey, they may need to go more of the operative route, they might have an or if with or without a bone graft, um, especially if they're like higher level or performance athletes where we really want to make sure that it is, it doesn't become a non-union. 
do want to be mindful that it is possible to have a bipartite uh, navicular bone. So something to be mindful of if they have pain in this region. Now for the metatarsals, if you remember from our last episode, we talked about the anatomy of the forefoot a little bit and what metatarsals tend to be more mobile mobile, and some that are more stiff. So in stress fractures, we're going to see them in the distal second and third metatarsal. Um, so this might be in, in runners, military recruits, ballet dancers, basketball players. They might have had a big increase in activity. They may have forefoot pain with weight bearing, or they might not be able to toe walk, have point tenderness, swelling. You'll notice kind of a common theme in these, of course. But you might see in the base of the of the second metatarsal, you might see this more in ballet dancers where they're in like that point position and they're having to lock out their second metatarsal base and cuneiforms in extreme plantar flexion. Now, especially in a pronated foot that has poor ankle plantar flexion, this can cause almost like an overpoint foot with compensatory plantar flexion to the Lisfranc joint which means that their center of mass is going to be anterior to the metatarsal shaft. So this, again, plays into an improper loading that results in excessive load, which therefore means environment demands are kind of overtaking the ability of the bone resorption to keep up. Now, in the fifth metatarsal, when we say that the base of the fifth metatarsal, it's, it's still going to be in this region distal to where like a Jones fracture would be. Um, but you might see this with a lot of like repetitive adduction with the ankle and plantar flexion that can cause shear like in basketball players. So something to be mindful of, especially if we're able to kind of pinpoint a location because in the base of the fifth, you know, we have avulsion fractures, we have Jones fractures, and then we have stress fractures and they're all slightly different locations, but this is where history comes into play very much so. Now, in the calcaneus, this is a lower risk fracture, uh, meaning it has a, a better healing potential, but you'll still see this in military recruits or long distance runners. You also want to make sure, like, this should be on your list if someone's having heel pain, because a lot of common differentials might be plantar fasciitis or Baxter nerve entrapment. They might have, you might be concerned about it insertional Achilles tendonitis, atrophic heel pad, retrocalcaneal bursitis, or severed disease if they're an adolescent. But um, if you're trying to, to basically test this out, there's something called a calcaneal compression test where you're squeezing the heel with both hands and seeing if it hurts. So something to keep in mind. Um, treatment for a lot of these is going to be rest as well. And then we'll talk briefly about sesamoid stress fractures. So you'll see this more commonly in the medial sesamoid directly under the first metatarsal. And this can happen from repetitive, forceful dorsiflexion of the toes. Um, so they'll have swelling and pain with dorsiflexion. But again, you'll want to keep in mind that it is possible to have bitartite uh, sesamoid as well. Now, of course, there's other regions of the foot that can have a stress fracture, right? But these are some of the most common that you'll see, or hopefully not see, really. But if one walks into your clinic, which would be painful in this instance, you want to make sure that you can catch it. Because a lot of these, what we're trying to do is, is stop the abnormal demands of the environment or the excessive demands of the environment on this patient so that either their body can heal itself 
So they might be put in non-weight bearing. They might need some activity modification. Or in some of these cases, like the fifth metatarsal or the navicular, where they might need some sort of surgical fixation to make sure that this doesn't progress. It depends on a lot of things. I'm not a surgeon, and so this is not my field of expertise, but just know that sometimes that is an option for patients, especially some of our high-performance patients. So in essence, I just want to make sure that you guys understand how important history is and how important that in these areas it is to have a high suspicion of stress fracture so that you do make sure that you're catching this, especially if all they have is an x-ray. So that's it for today, guys. If you have any questions, be sure and let me know. You can reach out at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. Like It really makes my day anytime that one of you guys sends me an email. So it's awesome. Um, you can also follow me at ptsnacks on Instagram. Sometimes I post up content, although lately I've been trying to focus more on um, content production than uh, social media because we all have only so much time in the day, right? But um, if you guys need anything, be sure and let me know. There's some links below for some, some helpful stuff. If you want to support the show or the show, or there's a MedBridge promo code for, if you need CEUs, it's like $175 off if you use the promo code for PT snacks podcast. So be sure and check that out, but I'm just going to keep this short and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and until next time.